0: Today I'm excited to be in Manhattan at Collins with uh, a good friend who's very difficult to categorize. Esther Dyson is an entrepreneur, an investor, a pundit, a nonprofit leader, and even a trained cosmonaut. There aren't many people in the world that can claim that title. Esther, thanks so much for being here. Delighted. So you told Nick Bilton in the New York Times that you see life as a series of comic
1: strips. What do you mean by that? that there's all these different little dramas going on in parallel, sometimes usually one or two are exploding, the others are kind of quiet so these are, for me at least, the companies I'm involved with, uh, things going on in my day job now, which is Way to Wellville, Mm -hmm. maybe Family Matters, but it's, it's kind of like in the very old days when you looked at all the comic strips in the newspaper, sometimes Charlie would be interesting, or Doonesbury, and, but each day there would be a bunch of them that were just kind of floating along, and I one see. or two that were exciting. And then when things get really challenging, four or five different things are exploding at the same time, or you can have it be kind of quiescent, so... It varies.
0: And when you scan that, and for some of our listeners, we'd probably have to explain what a newspaper is and maybe a comic strip, but yes. but when you'd look at the newspaper, you'd see the 15 different comic strips, and then you'd have to decide which ones to land on and actually read.
1: Precisely. Which ones do you pay attention to, where, where in, n- not explicitly, but where does it kind of say your input needed here versus oh, right. things are moving fine without you, don't bother Maybe you should check in, but if if you're on boards of companies and you're mentoring people and at Way to Wellville, which you'll hear more about, we yeah. have five different communities, different things are going on in each of the communities. So it's, it's kind of like that. And some days it's popping all over. It's just like the real world. There's the United States comic strip, which actually contains a whole lot of different comic strips.
0: Comic strips of America, what does that mean?
1: So... The United States is, it's all, it's fractal. So everything has more comic strips within it. And the United States has the Senate. It has mayors versus states. It has different people. It has, of course, the president. It has weather issues. It has farmers, agriculture, the coastal, whatever, the interior, different classes, different so,
0: so all these storyboards are playing out in parallel and some of them affect others They uh, intersect. And, intersect. And, yeah. How does your recognition of this panoply of comic strips change the way you approach the projects you engage in?
1: Well it just means you in the end you need to focus on what you're doing. You can't control all of the different comic strips. You need to sort of be aware of them and In my life, I've kind of accumulated more and more. Rather than stop doing tech or stopping doing health care, I simply added health or space travel, neuroscience, whatever.
0: Well, speaking of space travel, and I I mentioned you're a trained cosmonaut in the the introduction. Uh, You have a long relationship with Russia. I believe you were recently there. What's going on there that is of interest that, that you can discuss, and and why has Russia become such a an important part of your life?
1: Well, those are two very separate questions. Sure. My dad studied Russian. He's English, and so when I was growing up, it seemed like a normal thing to do. So I learned Russian when I was actually when I was in high school, hmm. and then went to Russia for the first time in nineteen eighty nine and for some weird reason
0: when Gorbachev was in charge and it was maybe Well it was just the beginning. Nineteen eighty
1: nine. When I went in April Eastern Europe was just beginning to start to crumble. The yeah. Berlin Wall fell I think that November. Mm-hmm. I went back in December and realized that it was always going to be a part of my life. It's mm. It's a very, very separate comic strip, but it's at the same time there's a lot of resonance between them. And in some sense, I learned a lot more about the United States watching it from Russia than I learned about mm. Russia because you know' it's, there's a lot to know. Yeah,
0: it's and, a, It's a riddle wrapped in an enigma, blah blah you know, right. that that old yeah. thing from Winston Churchill. So uh, so understanding and being part of Russia has helped you to understand the United States better.
1: Yes. And, of course, a little bit about Russia. So when I was there just a few weeks ago, what people don't get is that misinformation... It's, the U.S. does a lot of things outside the U.S., whether depending on exactly what you believe. But they sometimes go after specific results. But mostly, and I've been involved in a lot of this, they, they try and train people to run democracies better, to write laws, to mm. impose the rule of law, mm. et cetera. And in general, that's what the U.S. believes in and does, and sometimes I think it does things we might not believe in. Mm. But in general, they're, they're looking for a positive result. On the other side, what misinformation does is it just sows distrust Mm-hmm. And cynicism. So when I was there, two two extraordinary things. One, I asked someone about Navalny, who's the the chief opposition leader, to Putin. Yeah. Yeah. And that person said, you know, I can't really figure this out because th- there must be some kind of conspiracy or compromise or something there because like why haven't they killed him
0: you mean Navalny?
1: yeah yeah sort of like in the old days if you wanted to find out if someone was a witch you threw them in the water
0: see if they float
1: yeah <laughs> and you know it's like it's it's the same mm. and we now have russian-influenced ads on facebook they were not in favor of a candidate. They were simply sowing, again, that same old mistrust, confusion, doubt, cynicism, conspiracy.
0: Right, so let's speak about this um, topic of trust for a little bit. Uh, The Edelman Trust Barometer comes out every year. It's been around for some time. It's a very rigorous study, and it's shown the past decade, especially the last few years, a consistent decrease in public trust in institutions, whether that's business, government, non, large NGOs. Um, what is what is something that we can do as an investor, a philanthropist, as an academic, as a researcher, what can we do to enhance trust in society?
1: It's really hard. First of all, I thought you were going to ask me what has created this lack of trust. And well, let's ironically, start
0: there. From your perspective, what has created this lack Yeah, of trust? well, ironically
1: and sadly, some of it is transparency. Mm. Yeah, about how absolutely undeserving of trust so many people and institutions are. Interesting. I mean, even as some things are getting more trustworthy, it, it's becoming clearer you know, how much cynicism and corruption still reigns. One thing about transparency and privacy is they're they're both extremely complicated. They somewhat intersect and contradict. And so perhaps the most important overarching principle around transparency and privacy is the more power you have, the more scrutiny and transparency there should be around what you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you have no power, you know, fine be private don't be exposed but the moment you start impinging on other people's rights or the possibilities then you have to be transparent about what you're up to
0: the more transparency becomes a requirement yeah interestingly any anyone can use media social media online etc to to create power access influence but intre- but to your point Doing so actually increases the transparency in varying degrees. Well,
1: it increases the requirements for transparency. When it is not transparent, that's when it becomes invidious because you don't know the source or, or the legitimacy of what's being said. So you should have freedom of speech. But, and again, it's complicated because if you have, you know, if you're in a, this is why it's not, black and white. If you're in a country where you are part of a despised minority, Mm. having that transparency may put you at risk. At at the same time, if some message is going to be spread far and wide, we should be allowed to know the source of it.
0: By the way, related to your observation, and uh, I hadn't thought about it quite like that, but uh, a, a good friend of mine, Carlos Dominguez, do you know Carlos? He's the COO of Sprinkler now. He used to be at Cisco. And he was telling he was telling me about a company that was asking for advice and dealing with their public relation issue, mm-hmm. particular issue. And they said, what can we do to make people like us more, basically? And he said, well, the first thing you can do is stop doing that thing you're doing. <laughs> and that'll help. become Because you want to talk about what is true. You don't want to cover up something that you don't want
1: people yeah, well, to know about. Yeah, well, what thing were they doing?
0: Well, I'm not going to say what company it was or what the issue was. Oh, oh, okay. He was saying, he was saying, oh, this uh, is just a generic first, thing. Yes, yeah. what you're doing, well, people won't like it if they know yeah. about it, so you might want to change that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, so the answer to your question is what we, assuming we means the good people, can do to, the to foster Most trust. of us
0: think we are the yeah. good people, even well, if we're the part of the problem.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, in the end, it is, you got to walk the walk much more than talking about it or positioning it just be good visibly and that doesn't mean again promoting your achievements but actually delivering you know i mean the best way to to be a success in the market is to have a good product and let people know that the there's an old advertising adage also the quickest way to kill a bad product is good advertising then people will buy it and be disappointed. But I mean, what I love in, in the tech world or the digital world is something like a lot of airlines advertise how great their seats are, or this or that or the other, and they do a lot of digital work. What Delta did was they took their back end, which knows where your luggage is, and created a component of the app that lets you, the user, see where it is, which is, Genuinely adding value rather than adding perception
0: sort of like years ago FedEx and UPS added the ability to track packages
1: Precisely or you can now book your own room You can see where your room is at Hilton or you can pick your seat on all the airlines. That's real value added as opposed to Using marketing to tell you how great you are
0: So this is a really interesting point you make which is we we see transparency as a wonderful thing and you've given two examples but transparency has also aired all the dirty laundry, in a sense. The increase in transparency means that all those things that we wouldn't trust before are now laid bare. Yeah. And so something, some part of it is making the changes necessary, and some part of it is telling the story more effectively and more authentically.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have to hope that transparency will ultimately encourage better behavior because people will demand it. Yeah. And it's i mean fundamentally it's better despite it's the bad behavior that is causing the cynicism it's not the transparency about the bad behavior
0: interesting even so far as we have what some people have called fake news and invented stories that are that are shared in order to pursue a particular perspective Um, that's another layer of the challenge though
1: yeah i mean i think The best solution to that honestly is better education and of course that's easy to say much harder to deliver but if people were better educated and understood everything from statistics to just having a grasp on reality it would help hugely.
0: So that's related to one of the if I can say comic strips you're engaged Mm -hmm. in right now which is Wellville. Um, You've started this you said 2013 it's a 10 year effort might, might take 11 years, but, uh, and this is to try and create wellness in our society. Uh, tell, tell us about Wellville's mission objective yeah. and how you're going about it.
1: Okay. So Wellville is, it's, it's Silicon Valley to the extent that we started out with one thing and it morphed into something else cause we were more focused on the goal and this is how we're going to do it. The, the basic, premise was we're spending too much money on health care fixing stuff that shouldn't be broken in the first place. Right. Everybody knows diet, nutrition, sleep, all these things you should be doing make you healthier and make you more resistant to disease. Why not cut the cost of health care by making it less necessary right. rather than trying to make it cheaper or more effective?
0: Now, that's a beautiful concept. People love, let's just not get sick. But so how do you actually, how are you going about achieving that?
1: It's, it's, it's much, it is so much fun and so interesting and so important, whatever. So we started out, the idea was let's find five small places because clearly there's so many things everybody knows you should do. And there's lots of scientific studies about if you have this or that diet or you, you has such and such a sleep pattern, or you right. actually follow the directions and do X, and it works. But we're not seeing it happen, why not? And I think there's a bunch of reasons. One, it's tough. Two, mm-hmm. nobody's really seen it work. I mean, you hear about these little studies, or you know, some group of people lost a lot of weight, right. or some drug actually works, but none of this happens at scale. So you
0: don't see entire community be, right. communities becoming yeah. healthier. and and uh...
1: Precisely. And this, you know, you don't get healthy because of what you do. You can't take a two-year-old child and say, this child ought to behave better.
0: Right.
1: And there's, there's a lot of issues. You need around... to become a
0: better parent. That, that, yeah. That's not well, typically there's, helpful.
1: There's a lot of issues around who's responsible, which, you know, at some point, forget it. Whoever's responsible, even if you're a really rich, mean person who doesn't like paying taxes for poor people, you are paying taxes. You're paying taxes for all these people being sick. You're paying taxes for- Emergency rooms. Yeah, you're paying taxes because they have amputations, because of diabetes. You're suffering in your business because they're not productive employees. So even as a rich person who doesn't want to pay taxes, you should care about this. Yeah. Because if you invested now, the tax burden would be lower later, because all these people would be healthy, they probably would finish high school, they wouldn't go to jail, they wouldn't become addicted, they wouldn't take up smoking and get cancer. So how do you make that happen? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to waltz into Congress and expect them to listen to me and change how we do health care or education or anything else. So the idea was, let's find five small communities that invite us in. It's not a nice white lady from New York is here to tell you how to live. Mm -hmm. So they invite us in to help them do what they want to do Mm. over 10 years so that you can see long-term impact rather than, oh, you know, we tried this for a year and we didn't really see much happen. And second, they're small enough to do it at scale. Third, they're self-contained, so you don't do it in one community but they keep going out of the community for lunch or people come in to work or whatever. Yeah. So we put out a call for applications.
0: How many applications did you receive?
1: To our great surprise, 42.
0: Great. For five spaces?
1: Yeah, from all over the US. Wow! And only one didn't really read the instructions and was a doctor in Georgia who thought we were handing out money. Oh. (laughs) the, The basic idea is we don't charge them and we also don't give grants. We mm-hmm. help them raise money. We help them find partners. We will help them train people. We'll introduce them, help them to get visibility. And the, the goal at the end of the 10 years is for there to have been measurable scientific medical change, but also things that matter to the community. The mayor gets reelected. Employers come into town and hire people. The, Children graduate from high school, they go to college, but then they want to come back because it's a great place to live. Mm. The jail is empty, the real estate brokers are expanding because everybody wants to come in, Amazon says, let's put a warehouse here, that kind of thing. And so it originally was a five-year contest, turned into a 10-year project, and as we learned more and more, we kind of changed our focus from everything, even though we knew we would need to focus on some things, mm-hmm. to in the end, it's really about the parents and the children. That's what has the biggest impact on the future. Right. But second, we came in thinking more about diabetes and smoking and, and sort of just medical, physical health, but we're much more focused now on early childhood experiences, pre and postnatal care. Mm. The mental health. Without the mental health, you don't have the discipline or the capacity to do those things that the doctors say. Oh, you know, my patients never listen to my instructions. And the so patients, it started
0: as a physical wellness focus, and now it's more of an emotional, um uh, it's both like interpersonal
1: you, you, you uh, add a, Yeah, you add a comic strip. Ah, okay. Because you can't do the physical. You know, if you're depressed or you're fighting addiction, or you eat because you're unhappy. You're not going to follow the doctor's orders. You're not going to go to the gym. You, you probably won't be as good of a parent. So all these things interact. Yeah. And one, one is just to work with the parents who, who want to be good parents and so forth. And that's really useful both in the present and for the children, but where we expect to see the, the biggest impact is indeed on the the children and the outcomes over time.
0: So what have you learned so far from this process?
1: Um, well, would you're I just... In. You're
0: about halfway, you're less than
1: halfway. We're more in. like a third in. It's, a third So in. We're, we're very much at the beginning. And okay. the, the major thing that needs to happen in a sense is... Local community members need to be trained to deliver health care, counseling. They need better teachers. They need better child care. They need better employee-employer relationships. But it needs to be the local people. It's not like bring in a team of consultants and they'll fix everything and leave. Mm
0: -hmm. Which is what usually happens.
1: Right. Well, (laughs) they fix everything. They come in, but
0: nothing gets fixed.
1: Yeah, they come in and there's a short-term result and yeah. it has to be led locally it can't be bring someone in when we started this in 2014 we picked 10 of the communities that had applied to visit them the summer of 2014 which was an amazing summer mm. one place we turned down because it was too good mm. that was columbus indiana which is the home of cummins engine sure. and it's it's a great place and yeah. cummins Engine really helps. It's kind of like- Beautiful architecture yes. from the mid-century, yeah. and, very and successful a, schools. Right, and yeah. a very good medical director, Dexter yeah. Shurney, and so forth. Uh, and that's a great model, but it's it's dying. Kodak had it in Rochester. It was right. recently a wonderful New York Times article about the janitor at Kodak who became the head of research or something. Contrasts the janitor at Apple who's gonna be a janitor yeah. probably forever. Mm. Uh, so y- it has to be within the community. If you're lucky, you have employers who do that. But in most of these communities, the big employers are the government and maybe the health system. And, and it's like they don't produce anything for export. Right. So try- trying to change that, but also if a third of the community is employed, keeping the other two thirds healthy, that's great
0: so you you said when we were preparing for this discussion you said that neuroscience is playing an essential role with Wellville talk about that
1: well it's it underlies a lot the whole neuroscience of what gives somebody resilience so it's it's not that I'm going to the Wellville communities and giving lectures on neuroscience or anything Mm -hmm. but I've been reading so there's this concept of adverse childhood experiences and how they Basically, they train your brain to be short-term, anxious. If, if the old marshmallow story, you give a kid a marshmallow and say, wait and get the second marshmallow 15 minutes later. and
0: They're more likely to be successful in the long run right. if they show the patience yes. and wait for the delayed gratification. Right. And
1: so the question is, well, why does one kid wait and the other doesn't? And no. if your daddy comes home and sometimes he's drunk and sometimes... He's nice and your mommy doesn't really talk to you much and scolds you all the time or and sometimes you get food and sometimes you don't. And you're not stupid if mm-hmm. you take that first martial law because you learned not to trust people. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is how do you how do you give people, how do you give kids not being told to be trusting, but how do you actually create an environment for them where they can trust illustrate people?
0: trust and yeah. that they can have trust in certain situations. Right. It doesn't
1: mean that the world is entirely safe, but that you you develop brain patterns and, and psychology that makes you able to control yourself, think about no. the future. So I've learned a lot about addiction and, I mean, in some sense it's a, a learned Disorder of time. Say that again,
0: a learned, a learned disorder, disorder of time. time.
1: Right, so We all need, you need desire, you need a dopamine cycle in order to do something. Otherwise in Parkinson's people stop moving because they don't get enough dopamine to move. Mm. And in the same way we need, we need to desire to do things and long-term desire is purpose. Short-term desire is addiction, and when you get addicted, you you get this micro focus on whatever it is. You never get the satisfaction. You never get the achievement of the purpose. But you you sort of, the past recedes, the future seems unreal. Right. I mean, in some sense, you see the same thing in the communities where. The, the essence of this is we were invited in by organizations that were working on local community health, and they kept running programs that gave some short-term satisfaction in a sense, but never created a long-term impact. They never really fulfilled the purpose. Hmm. So, yeah, Zumba dancing for 30 ladies, pamphlets for children about tooth decay, but... You, you never saw an actual long-term result. And that's what we're working towards. And it requires somebody to have a long-term purpose and to have, again, the, the, the sense of security to make a budget, commit to hiring people and to achieving an outcome that's uncertain, that's not immediate, and to scaling that. That's what it actually takes to, to do something.
0: So what's one thing you've, that you're seeing in these well-built communities that perhaps people who don't get outside of their particular bubbles, like, I don't know, Silicon Valley or or Chicago, for that matter, New York. Yeah. What what are some things you're seeing in these communities that maybe others don't see?
1: Well, just the whole life is complicated. When when you talk to a doctor, a doctor thinks, you know, it's me or this other doctor, it's this drug or that drug, but from the point of view of the person in the office, it's like, it's this doctor's drug or it's buying a new skirt or yeah, Mm. maybe just screw it, go out and have a drink. Uh, It's buying the medicine or buying the kid's shoes. I don't have time for this exercise stuff. There's real life. There's a wonderful book called Scarcity yeah, by Sendhil Malanathan and Eldar Shafir. And it sort of explains to rich people why in quotes, poor people do such stupid things because they're short of money yeah. by reminding the rich people how many stupid things they do because they're short of time. They overschedule, they, mm-hmm. they, they make too many appointments and then they can't pay attention to the person they're talking to because they're worried about the next appointment right. or they can't go to their kid's recital.
0: And then, of course, the book talking about how some of those decisions that might look nonsensical made by people with fewer resources actually make some sense when they're considered in the context of the of the pressures that they're under, of the limited resources they have access to. That, that's, that's what the, yeah. the book was, the point the book was making.
1: Right, and people in our communities live under these pressures in a way that people on the coasts, simply don't understand. Yeah. It, it, let me say it in another way. In Scranton, which is one of our greater Wellville kind of partner communities, they decided very intelligently, let's get sort of the community leaders together with some of the community residents that we need to make sure to listen to, et cetera, et cetera. So that a hundred community leaders and tables and the idea is the residents are going to sit at these tables and we're going to have a meaningful conversation which sounds a little pat but in fact is a really useful thing to do so guess what the community residents brought with them their children (gasps) because they don't have nannies yeah oh my god right they don't have nannies well how do they
0: how do they have a job oh
1: i see now i get all this child care stuff Mm-hmm. and it's not it's work sure but it's also if you want to go to the diabetes prevention program class or you want to go to the cooking class or just everything in your life you still have to take care of these kids
0: right so understanding the realities and the context within which the decisions are being made by by the way in that story it might have even been a good idea to get input from the kids who were there at the meeting oh
1: sure yeah, so. I mean, we we did that once in Clatsop County. Great. We we kidnapped three teenagers and are, got, and are
0: you admitting to this on camera now? That
1: <laughs> for about an hour, but it <laughs> oh, was okay. it was really great. They told us one girl said we moved here. Clatsop County is about an hour and a half to hours northwest of Portland, Oregon. Okay. And this girl said we moved here because of the schools. And to be polite, the Clatsop schools are not known for being great and so we said oh that's interesting tell us a little more she said well in portland like the schools are so big nobody has your back but up here mm. in clatsop county interesting more than 10% of the kids are you know their parents kicked them out or they ran away or the whole family's homeless and your friends will never let you live outside they'll they'll lend you their houses because we all they have understand. each other's backs yeah it's a much it was really heartwarming. I mean, Klatsup has hmm. a lot of problems, but at the same time, it's a real community where people take care of one another, and that was that was really impressive.
0: Esther, I think your watch just beeped. What, what, what what's going yeah, on? Yeah, it was
1: telling me to get up and walk around. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can put that off for a minute, but it, but it is uh, an example of how artificial intelligence is entering our life and. Oh. Uh, making recommendations in some cases yeah. even making decisions on our behalf
1: I, I think that AI is way oversold okay and, and way over like you don't need AI to I mean expert systems used yeah. to be called AI it's basically an expert systems it says if this person hasn't moved for 59 minutes get up and send walk them away. a reminder I mean that was yeah. coded by a person it wasn't deep learning right to the naked eye, it might look like AI, and sure. 20 years ago, there's something definitely hype
0: today. But where yeah. is it going, Esther? My question oh. has more to do with what do you see five years, ten years? Where is this going, and what do we need? What does the right. public need to know about this? Okay,
1: well, what we're doing now will no longer be called AI for one thing because people will understand it and take it for granted. Uh, so, the, the fundamental thing to understand is the difference between tasks and a job, if you like. AI is going to do more and more tasks. And mm-hmm. ideally, it makes the jobs better because you don't do the stupid, boring things. I mean, making travel arrangements can be mostly done by a bot. You tell it what are your parameters and constraints. Yeah, it, and arbitrarily c- complex, although I still haven't seen the thing that actually does that you know, These are the airlines I prefer. These are the seats I prefer. Right. These are my
0: I want at least an hour and a half in the airport between flights, you know, things like
1: that. Right. And if it's this airport, I don't mind staying there three hours because my favorite hairdressers are, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Things you would be embarrassed to ask a secretary to do because they're they're kind of personal and the job is too menial, but a bot can do them easily enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there are things that require ethical creative judgment that are going to be very hard to have done by machines. I mean, there's you can you can knock off you can knock off all these tasks one by one. Yeah, you know, the travel arrangements, the hotel arrangements. Uh, look at this table of information and tell me the correlation between the salesperson and the sales success, or things that are more interesting in medicine now, like they're, they're looking at cancer in a new way, you know, or diabetes. Nobody, very few people die of diabetes, but many people die of something else earlier if they have diabetes. Hmm. So being able to tease out those numbers you know, whether or not it's AI, it's definitely something that's much better done by a machine than some per- person with a slide rule. Uh, I think in a short term, we way, way overestimate AI. Long term, we probably underestimate it. Mm-hmm. And a you know, hundred years from now, if something comes along that's better than human beings, that's mostly AI. Well, a hundred years it. from now,
0: hopefully we'll still be around to under or overestimate. Hopefully we're just still around
1: yeah, but then say 200 years. I guess what I'm trying to say is you, I'm not totally a human patriot.
0: What does that but, mean, a human patriot?
1: Well, I don't think the purpose of the world is for humans to be ascendant. At the same time, yeah. if, if you really want to get rid of evil, you could just kill everybody and you'd have no suffering and no evil. But I'm not sure that's the point either. So there's, mm-hmm. it goes back to the neuroscience and the purpose and consciousness. Yeah, the purpose is to reduce suffering without eliminating choice somehow. Mm. I mean, that's my version of it. I'm, I like I'm that. I'm still working algorithm
0: on or heuristic. Reduce yeah. suffering without eliminating choice.
1: Yeah, I mean there's. I don't think you can be truly happy without having suffered Hmm. and so these these are the kinds of things that make us human and I Hmm. I'm still not there yet
0: it almost seems like people who objectively one would look at and say he or she doesn't have any problems doesn't have any issues but somehow humans have a desire to discover problems and challenges in their lives. Maybe it has something to do with the search for happiness, meaning, contentedness, whatever, pneumonia or whatever it happens to be. Yeah,
1: I don't think they have a desire to discover problems but there's always problems that get discovered and they have a desire (laughs) to overcome them. But they also, again, do really stupid things short term. Yes. Even people you think are very smart.
0: We do them all the time. Um, probably some of that is evolutionarily, um, an evolutionary adaptation.
1: Well, I mean, this is the whole thing. We, we need to have that desire to do anything at all. When life becomes too easy or too insecure, we focus on the short-term desire and, and don't achieve our purposes.
0: So I'd, I'd like to, um, See a conversation related to this, related to addiction you mentioned earlier, with respect to virtual reality. So, virtual reality has been something people have talked about for a while, and it's been fairly limited to a few video games. But recently, it started to become real. Whether it's virtual or augmented or mixed reality, it's still in the early stages. But let's let's look out twenty years. And by the way, Esther, it could be thirty years, right, fifty years. It. Let's not talk about. We're not Ray Kurzweil. So. Um, 20 years, 30 years from now, virtual reality at some point will become experienced as real, more and more like a quote-unquote real experience. And then we will be able to experience almost anything we want or, or don't want, per, perhaps. But at that point, we could could we become the brain in a vat of Hillary Putnam or could we well, become the, the 21st century version of the couch potato? What are the threats and opportunities that virtual reality poses us?
1: So, I mean, there's a big difference between again it gets down to these really really fundamental questions but I don't there is still a difference between I've been in some amazing virtual reality during my space training and it feels very very real but at the same time you know it's not and that knowledge you know, why is it that it means more for a salesperson to come and call on you you know they got up at 6 a.m. had bad coffee snuck out of the house, waited in the airport, drove. It's Again, it's that person suffering that makes their presence in front of you trying to sell you you know, the numerical virtual reality program they've got that makes them a more effective salesperson than if they just appear in front of you, even as a hologram mm. looking very, very real. But you know they didn't suffer to get to you and it, mm. it changes the human dynamic there.
0: So, Esther, I mentioned earlier that you're a trained cosmonaut. There aren't many people in the world who are one of those, but I can't help but noticing your necklace looks suspiciously like planets. Is that the case? Yep. Great. And, so,
1: yeah, this is the sun. And the head is the
0: sun. Well, I, I, we should all be so lucky. So you are very involved in the space industry or the privatization of space. What's the status of that right now? Where are we today?
1: We're... Our comic strip has turned into a political one in part, mm. the, but fundamentally, there's been a big change. There's lots of billionaires out there who are excited about space, and they're interested in funding it, even as the government and the people who vote are getting less and less interested in space because they're more concerned with other problems. Mm. So you're seeing the privatization of space, Elon Musk, Paul Allen... Jeff Bezos and lots of other people are saying, hey, we want to get to Mars. It's really important. If this thing on Earth doesn't work out too well, we've got a whole alternative comic strip we could start on Mars.
0: Where will it be in 20 years? I I know that you're great at predicting the future. So where where will we be in 20 years?
1: No, I'm not good at predicting the future. (laughs) I'm good at understanding the present, Uh which helps you see the scenarios of the future. Personally, I hope to retire on Mars, but not for 40 or 50 years, and I'm hoping it'll be ready for me about then.
0: So let me push on that. You, you truly hope to retire on Mars. Yeah. Why?
1: Because I'd really like to go there. It's quite a journey, and doing it once is enough. So when I'm done, it would be nice to live my last few years on Mars, but then virtual reality will be totally working, and I can just sit around in one-third of earth gravity i won't be hunched over i'll be nice and upright experiencing virtual reality you still you know because of the speed of light you still can't converse with people on earth real time but you can you can see videos and you can yeah you could imagine yourself you know why not imagine yourself in the four seasons instead of in the holiday inn
0: No offense to the international hotel group.
1: No, none at all.
0: So, but perhaps with entanglement one day, we will be able to have real-time communication across some distance.
1: Sure. Who knows? I mean, who knows? Who knows? So, or you can just teleport yourself there anyway.
0: So, other than Mars, if you could go anywhere in space, where would it be and why?
1: Well, I mean, that's a, how shall we say, it's one of those questions you can't answer simply because it depends what kind of, support systems do I have? Could I actually go to Alpha Centauri? Let me modify
0: it for you. We will grant you any and all support systems necessary. There is no existential problem or physics barrier keeping you from going anywhere in the universe. Where would you go and why? I
1: want to go where there's other life that is intelligent enough to speak English so that I can communicate with it.
0: Wow, so wherever in the universe they also speak English, it's called, I think, Australia (laughs) or New Zealand. Now, that's pretty far out.
1: No, they they don't speak English (laughs) natively, but they're smart Um, enough to understand us, even though we might not be smart enough to understand them.
0: So, Esther, this actually leads me to my final set of questions, and that has to do with my children. Um, I often find myself not smart enough to understand them, but they certainly understand me. I have two young daughters, Jolie and Sage, they're eight and six, what advice would you give to them? If you're an accomplished woman who's really created a presence in the world, what would you tell them?
1: I'd tell them your role models don't need to be women. They can be anybody that inspires you.
0: And what advice would you give me as their father? You have an extraordinary father and you have made him quite proud. Yeah.
1: Gives them lots of freedom and, and the responsibility for the results. I mean, my parents hmm. really never told me what to do. They always kind of said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. I went and lived in London when I was 13 with wow. another family. I went and lived in Morocco with my boyfriend when I was 17. For-
0: okay, well, that one's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I get your point. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like
1: I, I was quite a determined young person and I specifically didn't want to compete with my parents I went and did other stuff that I found interesting Mm -hmm. I mean the other piece of advice I give to a lot of people is never take a job for which you are qualified because the whole purpose of doing something is to learn and so that's why everything I've done I've done in a sense out of curiosity not because I knew what it was going to be like but because I didn't but I suspected it would be interesting.
0: Okay, last question. Three words to describe your feelings about the future and hyphens are acceptable. Three words to describe your feelings about the future and hyphens are acceptable.
1: Curious and eager.
0: And being a separate word.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Great. Uh, Esther, long-term desire is purpose, short-term desire is addiction. In a world of virtual reality, in a world that expands to the edges of the universe, we truly can experience anything. So the question is what should we experience and why? How, as you said, do you help people to discover and do what they want to do? How do you encourage people to make decisions that lead them to the, the visions that they have for the future rather than someone else's? When transparency allows us to see nearly anything, how do we be good visibly And I I must say that your long-term desires, your purpose have certainly been of value to all of us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.